the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. What does God want you to do? Believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's it. Believe on His name. Do you see that? Believe on His name. What does that mean? What does the name of Jesus Christ mean? Jehovah is my salvation. I'm believing on His name that He is my salvation. Jesus is my salvation. I'm not trusting in myself. I'm not trusting in my good works or my good behavior. Trust can be a hard thing to do. In today's message from Pastor Dan, he encourages you to place all of your trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus is your way to salvation. Don't place your trust in yourself, your good deeds, or behavior. Solely put your trust in the Lord. Pastor Dan teaches you that this is God's desire for you, that you would believe on the name of His Son. The only way to receive salvation is through believing in Jesus. Trust misplaced will let you down, but trusting in Jesus will lead to an abundant life. And now, open your Bibles to the book of 1 John, chapter 3, as we join Pastor Dan for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Surprise your children with ice cream, but for one of your children, put whipped cream on the ice cream. And you know what? I can tell you, I can, I'll bet you a dollar, your children will not say to you, thank you so much for the ice cream. You are such a wonderful mom, or you're such a wonderful dad. I'm so lucky to have you as my parent. And I'll bet you another dollar that your child will not say to the one that got the whipped cream, congratulations. <laughs> Man, you are so lucky to have that. You're going to love that whipped cream. Let me, I've had whipped cream before, and I know you're going to love it. You know what your child's going to say? I didn't get whipped cream. Why did he get whipped cream? I want whipped cream. That's the nature of Cain, and it's in all of us, all of us, not just kids, all of us. Why did he get the promotion? I've worked here longer than him. I'm a better employee than he is. It's that nature of Cain that's in all of us. So John says, hey, when you love, don't, don't love like Cain. And he says in verse 13, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. In the Greek, the tense here is stop marveling that the world hates you. (laughs) Stop marveling that the world hates you. Jesus said, hey, they hated me. They're going to hate you. So stop marveling that the world hates you. You know, in in, uh, the Gospel of John, I'll just read it to you again. John chapter 3, verse 19, Jesus said, And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Everyone practicing evil hates the light. Unrighteous people do not like being around righteous people. They hate the light. Ungodly people don't like being around godly people. 
They hate it. And so John says, stop marveling that the world hates you. Stop marveling if your unsaved family members or friends don't like hanging out with you now that you're a born-again Christian. They hate the light. Verse 14 says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. He says we, we know that we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Our love for the brethren, for the family of God, it's proof. It's proof to us that we have new life in Christ. Before we were born again, before we had new life in Christ, we didn't like being around Christians all that much. We didn't like hanging out with them, did we? For those of you that got saved as an adult, Christians made us uncomfortable. But we know that we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Now we like being around other believers. We like coming to church. We like going to Bible studies. We like being in fellowship with other Christians. We look forward to it. It's a lifeline to us now. You know, a lifesaver to get us through the week now. You know, we thrive in that fellowship now. That's proof in your life. The fact that you like being around other believers, that you enjoy fellowship... That's proof that you're a new creation in Christ and the old things have passed away and everything's been made new. Now look at verse 15. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Remember Jesus said the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. Hatred in your heart is the same as murder. That doesn't mean as Christians we we never struggle with hatred or that we never get angry with people, but it is, it's a struggle. Like, we have a desire to do what's right. We have a desire to honor God. And that's, that struggle that's there is evidence, again, that we're a new creation in Christ. The, the world says you have a right to feel angry. And the world says you have a right to stay angry at that person. You have a right to hold a grudge. You have a right to hate them for what they've done to you. But the Bible says we should forgive them. And so we struggle with that, don't we? Sometimes people really do us wrong, and and it's hard to forgive, but we want to forgive. We want to honor God. That struggle is evidence that we're a new creation. So now look at verse 16. Now going into verse 16, John tells us how we should love one another. And he tells us that we should love one another, not as Cain, but as Jesus loved. Jesus is our example. Look at verse 16. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We, we know that Jesus loved us because he demonstrated his love for us by laying down his life for us on the cross. We know that he loves us because of the cross. There should be no doubt in our minds about the love of God for us because of the high price that he paid to save us and redeem us and reconcile us back to God. And Christ's love for us It gave us the forgiveness of our sins. His love gave us eternal life. His love does not take from us. It gives. It only gives to us. Real love gives. Biblical love, it gives. It doesn't take. And the kind of love that God has, it's a sacrificial love that benefits others. You know, the Bible says of Jesus that though he was rich, he became poor, that we might be made rich. You know, he sacrificed himself for our benefit. 
You know, in Philippians chapter 2, it says that, of speaking of Jesus, that he, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. It says he was in the form of God and he was equal with God, but he chose not to stay in heaven. He chose not to stay in glory. He chose not to stay on his throne where he could have, but he chose to leave heaven and humble himself and come down to this earth and become a man and take on human flesh and came in the form of a servant, a slave, and he humbled himself and became obedient to the Father, even to the point of death, the death of the cross, which was the most horrific way to die. That's love. That's biblical love. That he would give up all that he had, all that he possessed in glory, and come down voluntarily and lay down his life for us and humble himself and humiliate himself for our benefit. That's love. That's biblical love. That's the kind of love that Jesus had for us. That's what John's talking about here when he says, we know love. We know what love is. We know what biblical love is because Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's the definition of love. The world has a lot to say about love. There's so many songs about love, isn't there? And that is like the number one topic. But you've noticed nobody ever tries to define what love is. But here the Bible defines it for us, and it's Jesus. And the love that he demonstrated by dying on the cross for us, laying down his life for us. And he says, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We should follow his example. Now, he goes on here in verse 17 to give us kind of a practical example of what this looks like in your life. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Now, this verse, verse 17, I think is a verse that really gets a lot of Christians kind of tangled up in knots. So let's just walk through it a little bit. He says here, you you have this world's goods and you see your brother in need. That that word see there, it means to see on an ongoing basis. So this is a person that that you've got some kind of relationship with. You you see them on a regular basis. You know the person is in need. You know what their need is. And you also, you have the means to help them. And then the Holy Spirit prompts your heart to help them. And he says here, if you harden your heart... You shut up your heart from that prompting. John says, how does the love of God abide in you? You know, that's a real example for us. You know, when you know of somebody that's in need, you've got the means to help them out. The Holy Spirit pricks your heart about giving them some kind of assistance. And do you obey that prompt or do you just ignore it? You know, do you show the love of Christ by giving to them or do you ignore it? You know, I think a great example of this is, uh, is in Luke chapter 10. You want to turn there for me. And this is the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer, and here a lawyer means an expert at the law of Moses, stood up and tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And so he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly, do this and you will live. 
But he, look what it says, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? You're listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City, Maryland. We'll return to the second half of today's message in a moment. But first, here's a word from Pastor Dan. It's my privilege to share the Word of God with you through our radio ministry, Ring of Truth. Thank you for tuning in each day. Hey, I would love to hear from you. Will you take a moment to email me to tell me how these daily studies have ministered to you? I want to hear your story. You can email me through our website at calvaryec.com. That's calvaryec.com. Thanks, Pastor Dan. Now let's join him again for the conclusion of today's edition of Ring of Truth. I have to love my neighbor as myself, but could you define who my neighbor is? And he's looking to just justify himself. He wants to have a very narrow definition of who my neighbor is so that he's not really obligated to keep that part of the law. Verse 30, so Jesus answered him with a parable. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road. And so now a priest comes down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So a priest comes down the road. He sees this man who's been attacked and beaten and robbed laying in the road. And what does the priest do? He crosses the street over to the other side of the road and walks by and acts like he doesn't see him at all and just keeps going. Verse 32, likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came, now notice what it says, and he looked... And then he passed by on the other side of the road. So next a Levite comes, a guy who serves in the temple, and it says that he stops and looks at this guy. And the word look there means to closely examine. So this Levite, as he's walking down the road, he sees this man half dead, naked, robbed, beaten, bloodied, laying there. He doesn't cross the road and pretend like he doesn't see him. He actually walks over and is checking him out and looking him over. Then he keeps going. That's the Levite. These are two very religious people. You can't get more religious than a priest and a Levite. But they don't have love. Their hearts are hard. Now, the story goes on. A certain Samaritan. Now, you got to understand, Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They were considered compromised. The Samaritans were a race of people that came from uh, Jews and pagans that mixed together. And so the the Jews hated them, despised them. And so when Jesus in this parable says, a Samaritan, everybody's ears perks up now that's listening. A Samaritan. So you've got a, a, a priest and a Levite, and now the third guy's a Samaritan. As he journeyed, he came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. So he went to him, he bandaged his wounds, He poured oil and wine on his wounds. He set him on his own animal. He brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii. That's A a denarii is a day's wage. So two days' wages. And he gave them to the innkeeper, and he said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And look, this religious lawyer, he can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. Verse 37, he says, he who showed him mercy. 
He doesn't say the Samaritan. But here's this Samaritan showing sacrificial love. It was costly to him. It cost him money, a lot of money, two days' wages. It cost him time. It cost him convenience. He, he basically gives the guy a, you know, an open tab now at this inn. He potentially could be taken advantage of. Sacrificial love, costly love. It's just like what John describes, where you, you see someone in need, you have, the, you have the means to help them out, the Holy Spirit pricks your heart to help them, and do you listen to that? Or do you just ignore them and keep going? This is the love of God. And, and, and John says, this is how we identify ourselves as disciples of Jesus, by showing love for others, our love for them. Now, go back to 1 John chapter 3. He says in verse 18, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You know, love in the Bible is not expressed with words. It's expressed with words in our culture, isn't it? You know, we, we say, I, I love you. But we say that about all sorts of things, doesn't it? It kind of loses its meaning in our culture because we say, I love my kids. I also love tacos, and I love to watch football, and I love taking naps, and it's just words. You know, when we think of love, we think of words, we think of an emotion, we think of feelings we might have. That's never how you see love depicted in the Bible. Love is always an action in the Bible. Love is demonstrated by our actions. We show our love by what we do. We don't say that we love someone. We show it. We demonstrate it. God demonstrated his love for us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die for us. God didn't just say from heaven, I love you. He sent his son to die so that we can know by his actions that he loves us. Again, verse 18, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this, we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. We, we don't base our relationship with God on our feelings or what our heart tells us. We base it on the truth of the word of God. Our confidence is in the scriptures, not our feelings. Look at verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Verse 22 is another verse I think that gets Christians all kind of tangled up. He says here, whatever we ask, we receive from him. And a lot of people stop reading right there. And they think that it's like a blank check now. Whatever I ask, I'm going to receive from him. But the rest of the verse says, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. That's the key to the whole verse. If we are walking in his ways and keeping his commandments, when we pray, we're going to ask according to his will. We're not going to ask according to our own will. <laughs> we're not going to say, you know, Lord, strike that guy down. Or give him leprosy for cutting me off in traffic. No. That's, that's not the Lord's will. We're going to ask if we're walking in his ways and keeping his commands, our desire will be to please him and do his will 
And so we're going to ask according to his will. Lord, keep that guy safe. He's driving like a maniac. Right? You know, someone once asked St. Augustine, how can I know that I'm doing God's will? And St. Augustine's answer was, love the Lord your God with all your heart and then do whatever you want. It sounds dangerous to us, right? But if you're really loving God with all of your heart, you're going to do what pleases God. That's going to be the desire of your heart. And so you can do whatever you want then because you're going to want to do God's will. Verse 22 again, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment. Look at verse 23. This is what God commands us to do. This is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. What does God want you to do? Believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's it. Believe on his name. Do you see that? Believe on his name. What does that mean? What does the name of Jesus Christ mean? Jehovah is my salvation. I'm believing on his name that he is my salvation. Jesus is my salvation. I'm not trusting in myself. I'm not trusting in my good works or my good behavior or my deeds to save me. I'm trusting in his name, in Jesus. Jesus is my salvation. Is Jesus Christ your hope? Are you trusting in him? Question mark. That's a question. Is Jesus Christ your hope? Have you trusted in him? And this is his his commandment, that we should believe on his name, the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. You abide in Christ by keeping his commandments. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. We know because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. The Spirit that God has given us, the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, it testifies to us that we are indeed the children of God. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit, of course, is love. And so here John tells us how we can know if we are children of God or not. If we are children of God, there'll be a change in our lives. We'll turn from our sin. We'll live righteous lives right in God's eyes. It'll be the desire of our heart to do what pleases God. And we'll love the brethren. We'll love others. He asked me how I know, I say, bring Thanks for joining Pastor Dan Sexton today to study the book of 1 John on Ring of Truth. This New Testament letter encourages its readers to grow in faith, to set aside personal agendas, and unite in a pursuit of God's plans. The author wants those who follow Christ to experience Him fully, as well as experience the beautiful gift of a church community. Having a body of believers around you to support and encourage you in your personal walk with Christ is important. You'll also find that a body of believers is somewhere you can be Jesus' hands and feet to others. Are you part of a church? If not, we want to encourage you to find one soon. If you're in the Baltimore, Washington area, you're invited to join us here at Calvary Chapel. We're located in Columbia, Maryland, just a few minutes from Route 95, Route 29, or Route 100. 
You can find out more at our website, calvaryec.com. You can also give us a call for more information. Our phone number is 410-491-4592. That's 410-491-4592. We're honored to be able to share God's Word with you through each edition of Ring of Truth. If you'd like to listen to additional teachings from this series, you'll find them at calvaryec.com. That's all for now. Join us next time for more on Ring of Truth.